WCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. How common are they? Can they hurt you? Well, hey there, and welcome to the 286th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul, and opening the show for us today was my son, co-host, and partner in the paranormal, Ben. Hi. We're, we're excited to have us have with us tonight uh, one of the most prominent names in modern parapsychology, Dr. Andrew Nichols. Dr. Nichols is a psychologist, parapsychologist, and investigator of alleged poltergeist cases and other paranormal phenomena. He's a member of the American Psychological Association, the Parapsychological Association, the Society for Psychological Hypnosis. He has been a psychology professor for many years and is adjunct faculty uh, in parapsychology at Santa Fe College in Gainesville, Florida. During his 30-year career, Dr. Nichols has investigated more than 600 reported cases of ghosts, hauntings, and poltergeists, and conducted studies in telepathy, precognition, paranormal dream experiences. He has written numerous articles on uh, paranormal experiences for popular magazines, and his papers on the paranormal have been published in a number of scientific journals. Professor Nichols has presented lectures and workshops on paranormal topics at colleges and conferences throughout the U.S., Canada, and Europe. Uh, he is the author of Ghost Detective, Adventures of a Parapsychologist, and his work has been featured in many books on paranormal topics. As a media consultant on paranormal subjects, he has appeared on numerous TV and radio programs in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Japan, including Unsolved Mysteries, 48 Hours, Inside America's Courts, and was a recurring guest on NBC's The Other Side. Several television specials have featured Dr. Nichols' work. He has investigated alleged poltergeist disturbances for government agencies and law enforcement, including the U.S. Army, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, and the Daytona Beach Police Department. In 1999, he was co-recipient of a grant to study haunting and poltergeist cases, the first grant of its kind in the history of psychical research. And we hope uh, to do a series of shows, actually, with Dr. Nichols on various aspects of the paranormal. And because we only have an hour, we're going to be specific. And we'll begin this evening with the subject of poltergeists. So, Dr. Nichols, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you this evening. And very it's good. Ben's going to start us off tonight. You. So what is the accepted modern definition of a poltergeist? Well, a poltergeist, of course, comes from the old German term, which means a rattling ghost or noisy spirit. Uh, in modern parapsychology, typically the, the term that's used is RSPK, recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. The idea there is that, uh, that it's some aspect of a living human mind that someone in the environment is actually producing the phenomena, which includes movement and displacement of objects, uh, percussive sounds, and sometimes more complex phenomena as well. But generally speaking, most parapsychologists today regard it as an extraordinary expression of human consciousness in the environment rather than as an actual spirit, although that's not clear, nor is there a consensus on that point among parapsychologists. And that brings up the question, what is the what is consciousness? But we don't have time to go into that. So we have to, <laughs> 25 yeah, words away. Yes. That's a pretty extensive question. Yes, <laughs> yes we'd have to do a complete a complete. And the answer is show. we don't know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We don't. Yeah. That's the motto of this show. Everything you know is wrong. Yeah. Anyway. It's non-localized. Anyway, so on to our next question that has nothing to do with that. Uh, does your own experience agree with the definition you just gave? 
Yes and no, and the answer really is a little more complex, and that is that there really appear to be two different types of, of uh, phenomena which we collectively refer to as poltergeist phenomena. The first, which are sometimes referred to as type 1 poltergeists or crude poltergeists, do appear to be genuine RSPK. In other words, there always is a living focal agent, uh, often an adolescent between the ages of 11 and 20, uh, more often a girl than a boy, although that uh, demographic has changed somewhat over about the last 75 years. It's almost 50-50 now, a, ten, a slight uh, tendency to be more often a female. And usually there's some type of psychological disturbance taking place within the family, um, and the activity always takes place when the individual, the epicenter or agent, is present. Um, very rarely do you have any type of activity take place uh, greater than 30 yards from the individual that's the agent. And usually it's pretty easy to identify who the agent is. So in those cases, the crude poltergeist cases or type 1 cases, there does appear to be genuine RSPK taking place. But there is also a type 2 poltergeist or smart poltergeist. In these cases, it appears to be more related to a haunting in some sense, but there does appear to be some type of non-corporeal intelligence or, or non-physical entity involved. Now, this too could be a more elaborate form of RSBK. In other words, it could be a kind of a dissociated or fragment of human personality that's capable of, of independently uh, functioning outside of the, the mind of the agent. Uh, as a sort of independent entity. So that's a possibility. But when you go there, then you have to also acknowledge the possibility that it could also be uh, a spirit of a dead person or, uh, or some other type of spirit, a non-human spirit of some type. So at that point, it becomes kind of a, a, a moot point as to whether or not it's connected to a living agent because it functions as an individual, as an entity. There's two-way communication involved quite frequently in those cases. Uh, also, larger objects appear to be moved, and objects uh, are sometimes arranged in patterns, which suggests the presence of some type of perception on the part of the entity. In other words, they have to be able to see in order to arrange things in patterns, and uh, they also uh, have to have something resembling appendages, something resembling fingers, to be able to manipulate objects in that way. Whereas in the crude poltergeist cases, objects just sort of move around or they fall off shelves and so on. So it's much more random. Hmm. All right. So tell us about some of your poltergeist cases. Well, I'll give you a couple of examples that I've personally witnessed because I have, I have witnessed poltergeist activity in a few cases. It's very hard to be in the right place at the right time. It sure these is. Things, these things tend not to happen when people are directly observing them. But there have been a few cases. Uh, one of the very first cases that I investigated back in the 1970s, and I discussed this in the first chapter of my book, was a case in which uh, a house that had a reputation for being haunted, uh, I brought a, a team which uh, consisted of, uh, of uh, two females and three males into the house. We actually conducted a seance to try to, to, try to contact anything that might be present in the house, and we started hearing raps in the walls and then the raps started coming from the ceiling and from the floor and then we started hearing a sound as if rocks were raining down this old house had a tin roof and we could hear the sound of rocks raining down on the roof and we actually found some of these rocks and there were hundreds of them and it so gradually over a period of about 15 minutes became more and more intense until it was just an incredible sound 
And at that point, uh, we were somewhat suspicious that there might be some teenagers hiding in the bushes or something, hiding in the woods. This house was surrounded by woods and were throwing rocks. Uh, and, but we also heard these noises coming from upstairs. We were downstairs at the time. And so we knew that if there was someone doing this, there had to be a couple of them at least upstairs making these noises. And this house had a front staircase and a back staircase. So we decided we would split up, go up. One would go up the front staircase and, and another would go up the back staircase, and we'd meet in the middle upstairs, and that way they couldn't get away from us. So we would catch whoever it was that was doing this. Well, we did that, and there was no one upstairs. And at this point, the sounds had stopped. But as we were standing upstairs, the sound started again. And this time, they sounded like they were coming from downstairs. And we could even see the floorboards rising with these blows as if someone was hitting the floor from beneath with some, some a sledgehammer or something. We could see dust particles rising up off the floorboards from the blows. And as we started to go back downstairs, down the front staircase, there were some pieces of wood lying at the um, on the landing of the staircase, and as my friend and I were both descending the staircase, one of these pieces of wood flew up the stairs between our heads and bounced off the wall behind us. We were both looking right at it, so there was no one down there to throw this piece of wood. It just flew up the stairs. So that was really my first experience with uh, with the genuine poltergeist activity, and it was it was frightening. It was frightening. It's enough to wake you up, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to, um, well, my own experience with Poltergeist has been somewhat different. Now, I sent you a copy of my book, uh, Faces at the Window, and it will certainly give you plenty of chance to talk about your book, too, uh, And w- with the, the Bridgeport Affair of 1974. And I thought I'd give you a chance to interview me, if you will, you know, as a witness, as you might interview any, any witness to a, a Poltergeist situation. I've run into two knock-down, drag-out, start-to-finish, wild poltergeist in my 41 years of doing this. Right. And um, others, have, I've run into others, as, as you might say, crude poltergeist phenomena, here and there, may, maybe 15 or 20 other times. It isn't common. But the the ones that are the, uh, <clears throat> the sort of upper echelon poltergeist sort of thing, as you described, are unforgettable. And I uh, have been injured several times in the course of these investigations, and uh, so fortunately it isn't that com- uh, common, I should say. So uh, we are coming up on a break, but we do have a few minutes. Why don't you interview me as you would someone who uh, was you know, witness to, to one of these things in a normal case? Well, the first thing I would do would be to ask you to tell me the sequence of events in your own words from beginning to end, and I would not interrupt you. And then, after you had completed telling the story, then I would uh, ask specific questions. So I okay. don't know if you want to skip the first part. Well, yeah, that'll take the whole show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of our, a lot of our listeners have perhaps read it or, or heard me talk. I have, we, have, we have done uh, whole shows once or twice on that case. Uh, as a matter of fact, in one occasion... The, the, uh, the particular fellow uh, who was the guest that day was a, uh, a, a skeptic about it. And uh, I, I have the greatest respect for skeptics, but then again, I mean, they weren't there. And he took one look at this house in Bridgeport and saw how tiny it was. Uh, and and you know, it's not much bigger than most people's garages. I mean, there's several rooms. And he said, how on earth could this, this, this have taken place in there? So uh, that was, uh, that was uh, something that got us going on that. So people uh, might be familiar with the story. If not, well, we, we don't really don't have time to go into total detail. But um, essentially, it was uh, a family in Bridgeport, Connecticut, November of 1974. Uh, the, <clears throat> as, as you might call it, the percussive 
uh, expressions and sounds began in 1972, uh, got worse. The uh, the background was the family had an adopted child who seemed to be, um, I, I don't know if I believe in agents, and it, just from my own experience with this, but that is what you probably would call her. The, uh, the situation uh, escalated in 1974. There were one or, one or two incidents, uh, window breaking from the inside when no one was in the room, and a wet footstep seen at, at, at the door of the house on a perfectly dry evening. Uh, many, many wrappings on the, the walls and the floors, uh, witnessed by many people. And, uh, of course, finally, in November of 74, the sort of explosion, uh, the... Um, the uh, psychokinetic activity involving you know clothing uh, uh, appliances instruments flying you know instruments uh, uh, such as utensils flying around television sets um, and then w- this was going on when when um, I got involved in the case I was there for three days and witnessed this in the presence of police officers and fire fire officials and this sort of thing and uh, also uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren uh, who are controversial uh, experts but certainly the grandfather of modern quote unquote ghost hunting so that was the background there and uh, so. I'll let you ask me some questions when we get back. We have to wrap now. It's uh, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. And our guest, Dr. Andrew Nichols, stay with us. CBS Radio's The New Sky. NewSkyRadio.com. This is The Lisa J. Smith Show. Change your perception, change your life. This is Lisa J. Smith, and you can tune in at 3 o'clock Eastern to listen to Lisa J. Now. I'm here to give you messages from spirit and to help you have a new way of looking at life. That's at 3 o'clock Eastern on CBS Radio, The Sky. Look up to the sky. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Reach out. NewSkyRadio.com Enlighten. Empower. Enrich. This is CBS Radio's The New Sky. New horizons. No boundaries. Take CBS Radio The Sky with you wherever you go. Be sure to download the Radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace. And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. Get in deep with exclusive articles and Sky News. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected. Hi, I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, astrophysicist and host of Star Talk Radio. Join me every week where I have celebrity guests, experts, and comedic co-hosts, where our task is to bring the universe down to Earth. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Oh, well, I guess they just cut it right off. <laughs> Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and we are talking with Dr. Nichols about the hypotheses of what a poltergeist actually is or maybe or whatever floats your boat in that department so dad back to you well certainly the experience of it so dr nichols uh you know if you were coming in on the bridgeport case uh you, you said you were somewhat familiar with it what, what would you uh what would you want me well, to tell at, you after having gone through your the sequence of events um, in as much detail as i could get you to do so i would ask you a few questions such as uh, who was always present? Was there any particular person who was always present when these events took place? Yeah, well, I have to say, uh, I have to say yes, because uh, 
this this couple was in their 40s and the young girl was 10 years old her name was Marcia and she had been and this is one of the things that, that I noticed right off with she had been kept in this house for 6 weeks not allowed to go out uh, because she had been uh, bullied at school, as we would say today, and matter of fact, physically uh, attacked to the point where her back had been hurt, and she was hard, not not in in any sort of pain, or it wasn't a debilitating attack, however, but it was nevertheless a very upsetting to her parents, who were extremely protective. All the neighbors told me that, uh, so the family was always present. My job was assigned by Ed and Lorraine Warren, as I say, the the uh, original ghost people i think from connecticut was to keep an eye on the little girl and make sure she wasn't doing any of these things herself right uh there was also there were a number of people coming and going which today i wouldn't i would never have allowed including members of the press uh there were police officers and uh firefighters from the city of bridgeport coming in uh and on one occasion uh, the first major thing that happened to me while i was there was that they i was in the kitchen with several police officers and, pl- and firefighters and the refrigerator picked itself up uh turned itself around put itself back down again not something you see every day so there were things uh once the the sort of the chemical mix as it were got i don't know as i as i might put it, got used to us things really started to pick up again but as as you probably know yourself from from going into a case, it uh, tended to quiet down. But uh, that's what, pretty much uh, it was the family, and pretty much uh, myself and Ed and Lorraine Warren who were present for the the, the three the major three day period uh, during November of seventy four when this uh, really kind of uh, went haywire. You said the phenomena had actually gone on though for more than two years. Oh yes, often especially the noises, the percussive. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, Tell me about the most impressive event that you personally witnessed. Well, certainly the refrigerator was uh, is in the top ten. There. So you um, saw the refrigerator actually move yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. We were there. We were looking at it. Well, you physically felt the entity. Oh, I did. Oh yeah. That, well, that, this is as we go. I'm trying trying not, not to shock Doctor Nichols too too much here. <laughs> uh, well, I doubt that you can. I'm but. sure. I'm, I'm joking. I'm sure I can't. <laughs> but in any case, there was that. Uh, we were kind of looking at it, and there were things sort of happening all the time. In the bathroom, the, the tub, by the time I got there, was full of uh, stuff, you know, cosmetics, you know, things you'd keep in a bathroom. There were television. I don't think I've ever seen a house with more TVs in it. Uh, the little girl's television was very frequently, would be moved from the shelf and found on her bed. Uh, at one point, I was standing uh, with her, and there was a, a floor model television in the kitchen, and uh, the, the flowers, there was a little vase with some flowers on top and started to move. And Mr. Gooden, the uh, gentleman of the, the household here, the father, uh, has said he had kind of experience enough with this to know when things were going to happen. He said things were go- something was going to happen. And I felt behind the television, it was very cold because it was November and there was a window, so it could have been that. But all of a sudden, uh, without any word, the thing flipped over and, and hit me in the leg, knocked the girl and I across the room, and it smashed the floor with such force that I couldn't believe that the screen on the television wasn't shattered. But it wasn't. I, I had a nice gash in my leg. Uh, but, but that was... And that something similar had happened uh, earlier in the, in, in the day before I'd gotten... This is on the first day. This is uh, the 24th of uh, November 1974, Sunday. Had broken the toe of Mrs. Gooden and sent her to the hospital. And when I was arriving at the house about 2 o'clock that afternoon, she was coming back and had her toe all bandaged up. So this thing was... Um, but I, I somehow got the impression that it wasn't intentional. 
I don't know. The trouble with me at this time, I was a seminary student studying for the priesthood, and I had to be very, very careful where I trod with this. And were I to express any sort of opinion that might have come from a psychic or a mediumistic source, I, that would have been it. I would have, because as it was, they threw me out anyway, because of this two years before ordination. But I got, um, uh, I was very careful about who I said this to. But I did get the very strong impression that there were, uh, this was not intentional, although the events themselves were intentional, and uh, th- there were entities involved. I just did not get the impression at all from the minute I stepped into the place that there was anything other than entities involved here. And I, I didn't meet them later on. So to, to continue and answer your question, if I may, uh, there, were, there was a point at which I was standing behind the girl. She was seated at a chair in the kitchen. The chair rose by itself... I, I grabbed it and pushed it back down, and it was as though something kind of let go. Now, she obviously was the center, but whether she was an agent, I had serious doubt. Uh, another incident that I recall very strongly was uh, when the Warrens were not there. I mean, this, at one point, we had to eat, so, so they had to go back to their house, which was um, not too far, about 10 miles away. There was uh, in the house the, the family, the, the three, the, the couple with the child, a reporter from the Bridgeport Post, Warren always let reporters into the scene, and a neighbor. And uh, all of a sudden, there was a, a, an electrical tingling in the air, and I felt as if I could see, I almost could see them because they were kind of gauzy. Four entities come out of her room, come down the very short hallway into the living room where we were. Everyone was frightened because if they couldn't see it, they could feel it. I put the girl behind me as if to, you know, trying to protect her. And I, I, had been, I started reading a, a, a prayer out of a prayer book. And this thing, one of them walked right up to me. And I, you could see, it was almost, you know, I couldn't see um, like something. But I could see a, a gauzy shape, almost like a nun-like shape. And the thing got around. I, I pushed again. I felt bone structure. I felt this was a physical being, and this is what I'm constantly talking about. You know, when we believe in the sort of the physicality of the paranormal, and what I believe is the nonsense of the spiritualist approach. Anyway, the thing pushed back, believe it or not, and got around it and threw the girl across the room. So by this time, everybody was so shaken, and the power in that room was so strong. I pulled everybody out and and, and onto the sidewalk in front. And fortunately, the police had cordoned off the street because because this was all over the press everywhere and there were up to according to the police up to 10,000 people gathered outside this house at any one time and fortunately they were cordoned off at the end of the street and I pulled them out and I went went next door to call the Warrens to ask them to come back and something seemed to follow me there was a a cat that yelped and, and jumped into a bush as I went by and then when I went into the house next door because people thought I was the priest because there was a priest involved but it wasn't you know I wasn't the one I asked to use the phone days before cell phones, you know, and something knocked on the door when I went into this house, and the little boy said, Mommy, there's nobody at the door. So you want to make a bet, kid? So I called the Warrens. It took them an hour to get back into the city because of all the crowds and the traffic. And, but this was a zoo. So I, I really got the impression uh, um, th- this was the start of my theory that, that these things never affect one, one house, that they affect an entire geographic area. And this is why today, when I investigate cases, you know, we look at all the other houses. You know, if you can bring the subject up with neighbors, they almost always say, "We well, have yeah, funny. You should say that." And there's something weird going on, and all this business. But uh, that that was one thing that I certainly remember. 
Um, uh, so I'll, I'll, in the interest of time, I'll leave it at that. But th- those are three incidents that I'll I'll never forget. How would you describe the psychological environment or the interpersonal relationships between the members of this family? That's fine. That's the first thing I look at. They were overprotective parents, very, very insecure, uh, highly religious. Now, it was very interesting. They're very devout Roman Catholics, and I find that people like that often have the most trouble with this sort of thing. Maybe it was my ethos of having been a seminary and naturally I saw you know among Catholics but uh, there was a very devout religious uh, sense in there but it was the the sort that is um, if, if if I may judge uh, was based on fear rather than love which sends up red flags for me there were a number of religious objects torn off the walls during this case uh, and uh, thrown into piles and things of this kind uh, okay uh, the little girl was um very imaginative was uh, the neighbors told me she was very uh, kind of conniving and rather uh, sneaky and got away with things when her parents weren't looking of course you might think that that's a reaction to the repression that they threw around her and that sort of thing so it was a very very pent up atmosphere and uh, you know to me it was uh, uh, today I, I, I would use the term it was it sort of rang the dinner bell for what I refer to as parasitical entities so that that was the environment as I saw it. When you when you interviewed these folks about the beginnings of these phenomena, was there any particular event that seemed to precipitate the very beginning uh, when they first started hearing the noises and so forth two years earlier? Well, uh, not really. The, the closest thing I could I could sort of pin it on was the arrival of this little girl. Now she they had lost a child. The child died in 1967 or 68. And uh, everybody says, aha, must be the ghost of the child, jealous of the, you know, give me a break. Uh, but the little girl was uh, uh, sort of um, an interesting type who may have, I don't know, certainly had, because as, as you suggest, everyone who's involved here has a part to play in why these things occur, when they occur, and how serious they can be. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think, I think it might have been from about the time that she arrived. This thing started getting a little strange. Now she was of Iroquois descent and was adopted from a reservation. All right, uh, if that means anything. So uh, that was essentially, um, I'd say, might be might be part so of it. There was a culture clash as well, undoubtedly. Seemingly, seemingly, yeah. But she was young enough so that it didn't really bother her. But she was a, a very powerful personality, very uh, interesting child, very intelligent. Um, was very devoted to her cat. And one of the things I won't forget that I think had nothing to do with the phenomena, but was uh, w- that there were allegations the cat could talk. Now, I thought, to me, any fool could see she was making the noises, but I'll never forget the sight of reporters from uh, NBC, ABC, and dear old CBS you know, standing around holding microphones up to this cat, asking the cat to say something. Because <laughs> this is close enough to New York, so they, they all descended on us, too. I mean, so... So uh, you mentioned the the bathroom, but other than the bathroom, were there any particular spots in the house or any particular objects that were repeatedly affected? Yes, uh, electrical appliances, something that, you know, I have a theory about, too. I'm sure you do, too. But uh, the the basement was particularly quiet, which kind of surprised me. Uh, The bedrooms, and again, a very, very tiny house, very small house. Uh, The furniture in the living room occasionally would flip over. Uh, There would be... um, uh, particularly, I, I, I always, uh, you know, 
based on the, the, the presence of water and plumbing, the bathroom and certainly the appliances, anything electrical or, or plumbing related, what water related, of course, which supposedly, you know, certainly conducts the EMF fields, I, I always thought had something to do with, but those seem to be the active areas, but uh, anything electrical or water related, uh, areas close to that would, would see things flipping over and falling off shelves and things of this kind. You mentioned the, the beginning of the phenomena seemed to coincide with the arrival of the little girl. What about the end of the phenomena? Well, we, that that uh, became a problem because uh, after three days in there, uh, the Warrens had to go to Hartford to be on a television show, and I simply had to go home. Uh, I was on vacation from the seminary, uh, and then I was going to come back that afternoon. And uh, before I left, Mrs. Gooden hugged me and said, oh, thank you for everything you're doing for us. Uh, Marcy, you know, Marcy really appreciates it. We appreciate it. And sure, I come back hours later, and there's a cop who threw me off the property. Because uh, as soon as we left, the Bridgeport police moved in, including high-ranking officers, from what I was told, and told them, this is it, the city's tied up in knots, this, this, this has to stop. So uh, out comes a press release saying that the kid did everything, and everybody made everything up, and some, some goofy theories that, that were more ridiculous than what actually happened. And it all descended into a sort of a political battle. Now, from the best information that Ed Warren gave me afterwards and that I could find out myself was that uh, the phenomena continued although less less so uh, they had to sink the Christmas tree that year in concrete because it kept moving and finally a for sale sign appeared early the following year at the house they just couldn't deal with it anymore supposedly the, the child was taken to uh, the um, now uh, mercifully closed uh, Fairfield Hills Psychiatric Institution and was tested, and, and the supposedly phenomena there were witnessed by hospital staff. Uh, not been present at hospitals when that has happened, but not at that particular hospital with her, with little Marcy. So supposedly things went on, and, uh, and then it sort of faded into oblivion. We received no more information, uh, and the whole thing sort of continued on the airwaves with the battle between the Warrens and me and uh, the, the Bridgeport police. So I don't really know how it ended. If you had to, if you had to, your best uh, speculation, what would you say is the would be the total duration of the phenomena? Uh, from start to finish, uh, well, today, if yeah. there has been a finish, four to five yeah. years. Okay. You know, okay. Uh, from what I've heard now, supposedly the the girl has uh, now not a girl anymore. Of course, a young lady uh, of uh, probably in her thirties moved to California. I have not had any contact whatsoever. Uh, but I would suspect that that type of personality, she might be able to report various paranormal experiences uh, here and there throughout her life. Now, the uh, the gauzy figures that you saw and that you felt physically, you said that there were other people that were in a position to see these figures, but that no one saw them but you. Is that correct? Oh, no, 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 I didn't say that. There were, uh, th- there were others who reported, because the problem with researching this, because the people from Duke came up, uh, was that everybody had different stories. I mean, you know, naturally, you know, the eyewitnesses are standing in different places seeing different things but everybody felt the arrival if i might say of these things and one thing i didn't mention that was really strange mr gooden went into the kitchen when i said that this is starting you know when i suggested this is starting to happen everybody felt it including the reporter and he began chanting in a beautiful latin in a beautiful bass voice what sounded to me a part of the benedictine funeral mass <laughs> and this guy, you know, the guy worked in a factory. I mean, he didn't know Latin. So so, so I, I wrote that down as a big question mark. And then these things seemed to arrive, uh, you know, and, and uh, everybody to some degree felt them or saw them. 
So uh, how, how many people would you say actually visually observed? Okay, well, all right, visually in one form or another. The little girl, me, the, the parents, that's four, the reporter, that's five, and the neighbor, that's six. At the same time, simultaneously? Yes, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so you've given me oh, some I'm, idea. I'm afraid we have another break here. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, okay. Okay. But you're listening to Behind the Paranormal on CBS, with Paul and Ben Eno, of course, on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. We'll be right back after our break with Dr. Andrew Nichols and our conversation about poltergeists. So stick with us. Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. 
And welcome back. And we just had a conversation about the Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 1974 with Dr. Nichols. And Ben, did you have any questions or comments to add to what we've been saying so far? No, you're you're on a roll. Okay, I'm on a roll. Okay, great. Uh, Dr. Nichols, any further comments before we move on? I just, uh, I, I just perhaps about my goofy theories of how physical this all really is, and entities. well, that's exactly where I was going to go. As a matter of fact, okay. uh, I think that. Uh, the question I would have, I mean, you've, uh, you've made it clear that you believe that these are some type of independent entities. Well, I believe so, in the parallel worlds theory, so I think that's why they're physical, mm-hmm. if, if that's the so, case. Well, or quasi-physical. Yeah. I mean, they're certainly, they're certainly not physical in the same sense that the telephone is physical or the desk that you're sitting at is physical. But they do seem to have some physical characteristics, that's for sure. But so, so basically my question, and I always ask uh, people this uh, in cases, is, uh, you know, when all is said and done, what is your theory? What do you think is going on? You were there. I wasn't. So you mm-hmm. tell me what you think it was. Well, in my opinion, the situation in the household, uh, particularly with the, the sort of the pent-up energy and the, the repression of the child and things of this kind, and the sort of negative atmosphere in there was uh, a dinner bell, as I might say, for what we refer to as parasitical entities. Now, in the seminary, I was I was calling them demons, and you hear that term thrown around today. I think that's got too much theological baggage. I don't think they have, if they have any theology at all, uh, I don't think it's the same as ours. And I've run into these things from day one, and I, I really believe that they are a, a, a physical race in a parallel reality, a la quantum mechanics. That's the only thing I've ever seen really works with this. And that they have a, even a culture... Certain leaders, very intelligent, learn very quickly, and what they do is feed upon our negative energy. I can't put any more um, any scientific finger on that. I don't think science is quite up to this in the first place. But that's this is again from from just being in the trenches with these things, and it does seem to work when you when we've approached it from this point of view. We're not the only ones who do this. Approach it from this point of view, everything changes. I mean, the whole thing seems to become something. Bigger than just dead people or Casper the yeah demons or anything like this. So, this was the first introduction uh, to to my way of thinking to, to the theories and methods that I later developed that uh, may or may not be correct, but uh, that showed me that this is something a lot more than, than maybe what most people think it is. Maybe because most people haven't actually experienced it. You know, they theorize about it, but they haven't experienced it. So I think that uh, we were dealing with parasitical entities that, that got so much to eat, literally, that they developed into um, these critters that, that, that could affect the physical environment in our realm to the point that they did. And I've seen cases, as in the other case, too, I've seen that they sort of run out of steam sooner or later, and, and they look for greener pastures. But I think they're, they're you know, cre- just creatures. Do you think that the emotional turbulence created in this somewhat dysfunctional family was a source of energy, a source of nourishment for them? Definitely, yeah. Okay. Again, see it time and again. So let me ask you this. What is it that leads you to conclude that these are separate and distinct entities rather than some type of dissociated part of the unconscious minds of someone who's living in the environment? Well, when you have a physical battle with one and you walk away with gashes on your leg, you think <laughs> it kind of kind of um, influences your opinion somewhat. Um, I can't emphasize enough that this, and people have often asked me, well, what sort of 
bone structure did it feel like? And it was all, I'm not a biologist or an anatomist, but all I could think of was it was almost bird-like. You know, it was very, just very strange. I mean, nobody was more surprised than I was. And, and uh, there have been, there are other physical things that occur in our paranormal work that have led me to believe that this is, we're dealing with parallel worlds that are just as physical with ours in many cases, uh, and that the spiritualist thing just doesn't do it. Not, not, yeah, not I, you know. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, no, I, I think you're, you're kind of missing the question to some degree. Okay. You know, if, we, if we agree that the phenomena are physical in nature, at least sometimes, or quasi-physical, um, then still that doesn't preclude that it could be some aspect of the person's mind oh, not causing the physical or quasi-physical. So my question really is, what makes you conclude that that's not, in fact, what it is, given that you, you do have a person there, at least one person, within this family unit who is consistent with the psychological profile of poltergeist agents that we've seen in other cases. So, and, But you have sort of opted to go with the, uh, and, and, and perhaps quite correctly, but you've opted to go with the idea that these are completely separate entities, whereas there's certainly plenty of evidence in psychology and abnormal psychology that the human mind is capable of creating fully autonomous complexes, fully autonomous alternate personalities with tulpas. their own motive, their own motivations, yeah. possibly p- tulpas, yeah. uh, egregores, thought forms, whatever you want to call them, but uh, a, a creation of the subconscious mind of, of one or more individuals um, could theoretically have its own motivations, its own personality style, you know, and, and certainly could perform physical or quasi-physical uh, feats in the same way that a physical being might. So, in other words, other than the phenomena themselves, what leads you to conclude that that one theory is prefer is uh, preferable to to the other? Oh no, I I see what you're, what you're saying. No, actually, I I don't disagree with you. I think that there there are there is a certain uh, unified system here in which both theories are correct. In a sense, okay. My problem is that uh, not problem, but I think my the, the context my thought is coming out of is not just this one case, but seeing uh, I like to think some sort of big picture of the activities that that, that I've seen or that even Ben and I now see with with these uh, these uh, what we call the parasites, their modus operandi, uh, the the commonalities among the various cases we see them operating in. However, that, that does not mean, and we're the first ones to look at the involvement. And the, the nature of the people, and uh, how susceptible they are, and how much they participate in the activity. So it's not. So we we don't see really anything as separate from anything else in these cases. Uh, these entities, I think, uh, are life forms on their own, but they're not separate from any other. Li- I don't think any. This is what's led me sort of into a philosophy of the paranormal that's based on my last book, uh, Turning Home. That that we, we we're dealing with something here that is is a unified system. That uh, you can't look at it from the Western materialistic, take it apart, pigeonhole point of view. You can't take learn things about things by taking them apart. In my opinion, you learn things by putting them together. And oh, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, yeah. in fact, that's that's, so that's really the one yeah. the one message really that parapsychology uh, reveals. You know, if people ask me, you know, what is it that parapsychology has provided with us more than anything else? And the answer to that question, in my opinion is the idea that the encapsulated self is really an illusion. 
yeah. that at the, at the deeper levels of consciousness, and, and in fact the deeper you go into human consciousness, the, the more undifferentiated it becomes, the more interconnected it becomes with mm-hmm. other people, with the physical environment, and so on. And that's really the that's really the core of parapsychological discovery. You know, oh, yes. whether you're talking about ESP or PK or spontaneous experiences, really the idea that that we are part of a web of interconnectedness that our consciousness is interconnected with the physical world as well as with the consciousness of other beings, other human beings, animals, plants, and so on, that we're all part of some sort of unified consciousness, Mm -hmm. just as at the deepest levels of matter we're all part of one unified field. So I agree with you in that sense. But I'm just not certain that these things necessarily represent entities that are as independent as you suggest they are you know that yeah. they are that they are completely independent of the of course you know what you just said suggests that maybe they're not that independent but if they're not if they're not that independent then maybe we don't need to even speculate that they're there at all in other words there's no reason why dissociated autonomous complexes from our own subconscious minds could not produce physical or quasi physical effects nor is there any reason why such beings could not uh, parasitically live on emotional turbulence or energy, psychic energy, if you will. Well, I so hear that you. might that might be the way that they manifest themselves. Sure. But I think when you start speculating that that you have uh, you've got here the sort of in, intelligent beings, extra dimensional beings, you know, which they may very well be, but I think that goes beyond the facts at hand. In other words, I think that you know if we can if we can show with a great deal of confidence from parapsychological research that the human mind is capable of interacting with other human minds, which we can because that's ESP, and if we can show that the human mind is capable of interacting with the physical environment, that's PK, and I think the evidence is very strong for that too, and if we can also show that the human mind is capable of creating independent entities, you know, alternate personalities, as in multiple personality or dissociative identity disorder. And I think the, the evidence is clear on that point, too. Even our dreams reveal that, that we create autonomous beings in our dreams that we seem to interact with as if they were separate beings from us, and yet, in fact, they are projections of our own subconscious. So taking all those three things, given the mind's ability to create well, autonomous they don't know what beings. dreams. They don't know what dreams are. They could be anything. They don't have to be con- pieces of our consciousness. They could be real people. Well, they could be, but most aren't. I, I'm pretty confident that most aren't. I mean, certainly people do have paranormal dreams, and people have out of body type experiences or remote viewing type experiences in dream states. But I don't think that, that there's much question in my mind, and certainly in, in, I think, most other psychodynamically or psychoanalytically oriented clinicians, that uh, that the majority of dreams do not represent... Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Oh, I hate, to, I, hate to break up plane, your, for example. I hate to break up your thought, but we have to wrap for another break. But we'll be back. We'll finish that thought in a few minutes. You're on Behind, behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us. Discover your spirit. Listen to Spirit Guide Radio, where spiritual guides nourish your soul every weekday. Heidi Hollis, The Outlander, The Zodiac Girls with Solaris, Laura, and Kira. Laura Lee's Spirit Salon. Ask Dr. Doug with Dr. Doug Lira. Life by Number with Celeste. And Keeping Life Real with Dr. Susan J. Stone. 
It's Spiritually Speaking Radio, Spirit Guide Radio, at 11 p.m. Eastern on New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons, no boundaries. New Sky Radio, powered by CBS. New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, and Psychic Radio, PsychicOnAir.com, powered by CBS Radio. AOL and Yahoo is unlike any talk radio station, with a mission to improve the world one listener at a time. This is where you can be the star of your own show. Our listeners are truly unique, truly interactive, and passionate about their world. The Sky and Psychic Radio listeners genuinely care about the environment, social justice, their personal health, and raising people up to live their best life every day. Our motto is New Horizons, No Boundaries. New Age Views, Life Coaching, Psychic Analysis, Alternative Medicine, and Cutting Edge Mind, Body, and Spirit shows can all be found on The Sky and Psychic Radio. Perhaps you have what it takes to join our broadcast family. An open mind, a great idea, and a passion for enriching lives. Check out all the exciting details by clicking the microphone on our homepage at NewSkyRadio.com or give Lisa Rodman a call at 248-546-9600 to learn just how affordable it can be to host a show. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. NewSkyRadio.com. And we're back with Dr. Nichols, and I want to give you a chance to finish that thought, and then I want to give Ben a chance to uh, ask you what he was going to ask you. I forgot, I forgot what it was, so. <laughs> anyway, okay. Thought form. So, so, you know, again, I was just saying that it, once you accept the fact that the mind is capable of creating autonomous entities, which there is plenty of evidence that it does, and that once you accept then that those entities may be empowered by psychokinesis and or extrasensory perception, then you really have all the ingredients that you need for a smart poltergeist or for any number of other uh, creatures, anomalous creatures, such as Mothman or Bigfoot. You know, there's, I think that there's very little evidence, and this is the, the problem I have with more of the, the, more of the scientifically-oriented cryptozoologists, is that they seem insistent on applying uh, biological rules to these creatures that people see, mm. uh, and certainly there are there are anomalous creatures that are discovered every year. Most of them are insects. Occasionally, small mammals or sea creatures are found. Sometimes, large sea creatures are found. So there are real cryptids out there. But most of the things that sort of puts cryptozoology on the map, like Bigfoot and Mothman and so on, most of these creatures show every uh, show every indication that they are a type of apparitional experience and yet they have quasi-physical properties. They're able to leave footprints. They're able to interact with physical matter to some degree, and then they disappear. And hit me no, in the leg. There's no, <laughs> there's, no good, there's no good evidence that they are actually biological organisms, and in fact there's a huge amount of zoological evidence that makes it highly unlikely that they are. Mm. And so given that, I don't see any reason to make any great distinction between that type of entity encounter and the types of entity encounters that people experience in hauntings or in, in poltergeist cases. They appear to be all sort of a facet of the same thing. And it seems to be sort of the, the mythic uh, component of the unconscious mind that is able to draw forth these, you know, sort of archetypal images and project them into the physical environment, sometimes with a degree of reality that enables other people to see them as well, to enable them to interact with physical matter and, and leave physical evidence and traces behind. But they, they themselves cannot be found because they, they don't exist in the three-dimensional world except temporarily. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, well, I certainly hear what you're saying. Uh, but again, as, as we said during the break, we certainly agree that we don't know anything for sure about any of this and it's the first day of school. Let me hit you with this, Dr. Nichols. Um, and this comes from many years of philosophy and uh, dealing with the Aboriginal elders in Australia and getting their opinions on things. And what, it's the idea that each of us is part of a great whole. We are a unity. The, and many of the, the Buddhists uh, will, will say this, that, that the, the sense of self is an illusion, uh, that we, there is no such thing as an individual, and that take, taken down to its logical or illogical conclusion in the case of, let's say, the Bridgeport-Poltergeist case, at some point in the multiverse, which we're always harping about on this show, that little girl is that parasitical entity, assuming that it's an independent entity. And, uh, but again, there is no such thing as an independent entity, so the life is a super life that's kind of shared. And we're getting into extreme extremes of transpersonal psychology here and perhaps uh, theology and things of this kind. Uh, th- th- this, this is part of why we believe what we believe, because, uh, or, or what we believe what, what could be possible, because of um, this idea of, of a vast unity in which we are each other. And I think the ancients kind of knew something like that. Even even in the Bible, it's present if you read it in Greek. So uh, I just wanted to suggest uh, that may be part of the part of the mix. But uh, again, uh, who knows who's right? Um, well, I, I, that's precisely the conclusion that I've come to. I mean, after decades of doing this type of work, I've come to that exact conclusion that you know I like to use an analogy with the ocean. You know, that each wave on the ocean has its own independent characteristics. You know, just as we have our own independent individuality but those waves are temporary they have a beginning they have a life where they move across the the surface of the water and then they they are submerged back into the unity again so even though they are an independent thing they're never separated from the unity of the whole and that their individuality is really largely an illusion it's just a manifestation of the whole Mm -hmm. so i think that's largely true and again this is this really brings me to uh, really to my conclusions about the, the poltergeist, that basically I think we haunt our own houses, you know, we haunt our <laughs> own world. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I think when you, you, one of the things that I've taken task with some other parapsychologists about, you know, I, I made reference to cryptozoology and so on, and also the u- ufology groups, uh, that, you know, they tend to try to, as you pointed out, there's a tendency toward reductionism, toward trying to sort of regard these things as completely separate and distinct entities and separate and distinct phenomena, when I think there's plenty of uh, evidence that they overlap and that they are, in fact, interrelated. Yeah. And so I think that uh, we, whether you're talking about alien beings or whether you're talking about Bigfoot, uh, I mean, either all of these different things, and and, and we, we must be aware, too, that people see all sorts of things. People have physical encounters with all sorts of beings, leprechauns and uh, fairy folk and so forth. I mean, these are taken very seriously by many people who have these experiences. And I have no reason to believe that their experiences are any less real than the people who experience ghosts or poltergeists. So what we have here is a, is a huge diversity of different manifestations of different, what appear to be different independent entities, but which probably, in fact, are different aspects of one large group mind, as you, yeah. as you pointed out. Well, I, I want to just uh, get, we have only a few minutes left. Please tell us about your book and your website. Uh, your website is, is marvelous. I love your, ex- your expressions of what parapsychology is all about. So please tell us. 
My website is the American Institute of Parapsychology, and it's to be found at www.parapsychologylab.com. Uh, my book is called Ghost Detective, Adventures of a Parapsychologist, and it's basically uh, a combination. It's quasi-autobiographical, tells a lot about my trajectory in this field and some of the more interesting cases that I've investigated over the years, but also has a lot of tips for would-be ghost investigators. Uh, talk a lot about the technique that I developed, the side session, which is a really a combination of uh, classic seance techniques and combined with gestalt psychology uh, that I've used to de-haunt uh, a number of houses over the years. I believe that many of these cases can be resolved using this technique. So uh, I think it's kind of an interesting book and a little bit different uh, from what uh, from the average ghost fair that uh, people are subjected to. Good. So uh, I certainly hope that folks will read my book. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we're going to be back definitely. I can already think of a subject, seances. We're going to have a ser- some serious disagreements on that. But we'll do that for another day. Dr. Nichols, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. And thank you for having me. Very good. Have Talk to you one. soon. Okay, everybody. Okay, we're right down to the wire here, so we're just going to go for it. Thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick, and we'll see you next Sunday, October 30th, when Ben and I will take the show to talk about cases I have encountered of confused ghosts, or things you might call confused ghosts, several of whom feature in my upcoming book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, what ghosts have to say about God. All right, in the meantime, tune into our New England Drive Time show on WON 1240 AM and com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. And you can always get free podcasts of all our shows, along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. Okay, and we'll leave you with a thought from former U.S. of all people, former U.S. Attorney General John M. Mitchell, quote, our attitude toward life determines life's attitude towards us, unquote. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time.